You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. When you think about your current and prior work performance, would you consider yourself to be a key player in the organization? If you're working for yourself in a startup and you're the only player, ask yourself the question this way, would you hire someone with your same work ethic? In today's episode, I'm bringing on Liz Wiseman. Liz is the CEO of the Wiseman Group and the best-selling author of multiple books, including the book we'll be talking about in this episode, which is titled Impact Players. Liz was formerly an executive at Oracle Corporation and the vice president at Oracle University. She is easily one of the most accomplished business professionals I've ever had the opportunity to speak to. In our conversation, Liz explains how each of us can become an impact player, which will help us stand out in the line of work that we're in, and it will also benefit the organization that we're part of, even if it's our own. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 138. And now here is my conversation with the extremely accomplished Liz Wiseman. Liz, welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. Yeah, good to be here with you, Alex. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. And I want to quickly mention that there's two separate people that I consider to be mentors in my life. And we mentioned this offline, but Scott Miller and Scott O'Neill, the two Scots. And they both told me when I, I mentioned, you mentioned both of them in the book. And I just mentioned them that I was going to be interviewing you. And they're like, both tell me right away. They're like, oh, she's like a mentor to me. So I'm kind of interviewing my mentor's mentor today. So I'm, I'm honored to have you here today. And they both have great things to say about you, by the way. Uh, well, they're both incredible thinkers and leaders and doers. So they hit on all the wonderful uh, qualities I like. So I, I want to talk today about your book, Impact Players, which I want to mention really helped me a lot as an entrepreneur, but also in retrospect, throughout my corporate days, like when I look back at my 15 year aerospace career, I realized how over that time, which I think it took 14 years for me to actually become a true impact player. And we'll get into that throughout this conversation. But I learned so much from this book. I think it truly is a, a gift that you wrote this for the world. I think it's going to help so many people really understand how to step up, not only in their own organizations, but also wherever they might be working right now, if they have a traditional nine to five job. This is the book I needed 15 years ago, Liz. So I wanted to just say thank you so much for putting this together. Well, sorry, I'm 15 years late on it. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's all right. I feel like I need to apologize because I think some people are going to say, I wish I had this day one of my career. And I wish I did as well. I had to figure a few of these things out. Yeah. And like I said, I'm going to be sharing throughout this conversation about how I learned some of these things in my own journey. But I can just see the, the writing on the wall now that I'm out of the corporate world in my own startup and how it's been already helping me with my startup. It just, I mean, I just finished reading the book less than a week ago and I can already see it making a change. So Liz, thank you, thank you again for that. I think the best place for us to start actually is if you can just give us a definition and define what it means to be an impact player before we get into any specific points. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, an impact player, let's start with an impact player on a sports team. Is there people who are extraordinarily capable themselves? They like make good moves, good plays, but they also have this, you know, extraordinarily a positive effect on the team that a whole team does better because of the way they show up and play the game. You know, so it's not that they just score points is the whole team scores better with them on it. And, you know, there are impact players in the work world as well. And these are the people who just know how to make themselves useful and they bring capability, but they also have a positive effect and really raise a level of play of the whole team. And, you know, we know who these people are. They're the people you turn to when the stakes are high, when you want to in ensure not only that it gets done, it gets done without blood on the floor. 
and that everybody wins, not just that one person. And and there are people who are not just getting their job done, they're having this enormously positive impact and doing really meaningful work and making a difference. They're, they're, they're the difference makers in the organization. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this whole idea, this whole book, and I was thinking about we're an entrepreneurship podcast. So it's a lot of people that have nine to five jobs, but they've also got a side hustle or some are in their startup. And I was thinking about who would this really speak to? And I realized it's going to speak to both sides. And that's because all of us are able to be an impact player. We're able to start helping other people come, become impact players in our own organization as we're hiring staff. But also for those of us that are still in the corporate job, we can actually become an impact player before we leave, which for me, I think is really important. It's actually what I did in the last year of being in aerospace after 15, after 14 years, my 15th year is when I feel I really became an impact player. And I worked my way up over the years. So I was always a good team player, but maybe just not at the highest tier that I could be. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm a firm believer that the way that we end one season of our lives or our, our, our work is what, is what determines how we start the next one. So I always tell people, like, don't leave an organization as you're growing your side hustle and don't leave them in a bad way or the, how they would never rehire you because you're a bad employee because you're always focused on your own stuff. I think that that's really terrible. And I'm honored to be able to say that the day, the day I left that organization, I had just completed my best year at that company. So 15 mm -hmm. years, I look back, I did the best I ever did. And I think the other thing that I want to mention here, and I know I'm talking a lot, Liz, I'm going to pass it back over to you in a moment, but is that some people, the things that are attractive to them about being an entrepreneur are actually some elements of being an impact player. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like they have a little bit more control of what they do. And the truth is they do. They just aren't sure what to do with it in a corporate environment. I think that you're gonna be able to free some people today that might actually realize, you know what, I don't want to leave the, the safety of a traditional job. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, in the senior director position, I hired a lot of people more than I can count. And I, but I had to fire some as well. And many of the ones that were firing were the ones that wanted to work for themselves because they wanted to make a bigger impact. They wanted to do these things. But I found the mass majority of them came back to corporate, maybe not our company, but they came back to corporate because they realized that the grass isn't, you know, it's like greener on the other side type of thing. So I think that we're sharing here today really works for entrepreneurs, but it also works for people that are in that corporate world. And they may decide that, you know, what, I don't want to leave the corporate world because I'm able to flex the way I want to now. Does what I'm sharing make well, sense to you? Think, and I think there's a lot of people who leave the corporate world because they're not making an impact. Like if I've really learned anything in this research and the books I've written is that people show up to work not wanting an easy job. They want to play big. They want to contribute fully and they really want to have an impact. And people don't have to leave companies if they can do meaningful work. And I love your idea of like, don't leave weak. You know, if you're going to leave the corporate world and go start something on your own, get these ha the habits that you need in place to build something amazing like make sure you're exiting that way because it's hard to shift mindsets suddenly. It's kind of like the, the, the study habits you develop in middle school, they're the ones you're going to build in high school. And you can't suddenly, when you need good study habits, turn them on. Like you needed to have built that foundation. Yeah. You know what? The number one thing I hear with what you're sharing here are the people that always struggled to make it to work on time. When somebody told them, I'm your boss, you have to be here on time. They still struggled. They're the ones that get into their own thing and saying, I can't seem to get out of bed before 1030 in the morning to get started. I'm not even starting till 1130 or 12. But you're right, that simple discipline or that maybe not simple, but that discipline was not being created in them. They weren't building that habit. And then when they shifted and now there's now no accountability behind it, it gets even harder, not easier. Oh, yeah. And, you know, when you start as an entrepreneur, I left the corporate world to start as an entrepreneur and clearly the toughest boss I ever had 
was working for myself. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm by far the toughest boss ever. And so like you need all of those capabilities in place. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, what we're talking about here today is just beautiful. So I'm really excited to be able to dive into it. And clearly from your own stories throughout the book, like you became an impact player over time as well. I like to believe that no one's really born into it. But before we get started, that is a question I have. Is anyone just like, they are just bred to be an impact player? Is this all things that are mindsets that are learned? Or do you find that people just some people have it and others don't? Oh, well, you know, there are some mindsets that are easier to develop. And it's one of the parts of it. So like the last piece of research that I did to make sure to round out the message in the book is when I looked at all of the mindsets and behaviors that are associated with people who make an enormous contribution and who are deemed extraordinarily valuable and influential. Some of those are quite easy to develop. And some of them, you know, like they get formed pretty early on and they're a little bit harder to change. And, um, yeah, so there probably are some people who come into the this as with an advantage. Here's one. Like how much of a a sense of agency do you have? Like it's kind of this internal versus external locus of control. We find that the impact players have a strong internal mechanism that says I am in charge of at minimum me. Meaning I'm not like acted upon like senior executives making me do these things. Like I have the ability to assert my point of view and to control where I focus and what I do and to be, have a dialogue that's part of a peer. Like this is one that if you kind of landed in a situation where you were given control and empowered, like even as a child, like you probably have an advantage here. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, I'm, a, I'm a firstborn. So I have three younger brothers. And it sounds like a lot of people I talk to that are also firstborns. That's something that they have maybe more than their younger siblings, not, <laughs> not picking on anybody. But I just find that usually be true. We're usually the ones that like, especially if it come the next child comes like really soon afterwards, then the mom kind of focuses on them and you have to become more independent. You have to take ownership of what you're doing and things like that. At least that's what I found to be true. And many people I know that seem to have this similar personalities, they also just happen to be firstborn. So I don't know if there's anything there, but uh, that's something that I've realized at least about that point. Well, and it's an advantage. And it's actually one of the, the messages that I would hope would come out of this book is like to just in any situation, assume that you have more power than you think you have. I think if I've done anything well in my career, it's I go into situations where it, you could easily become a victim of like the whims of an organization, but like, no, 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 I can actually influence and impact this situation. And like, unless someone holds me down and tells, tells me I can't, I have the ability to influence what's going on in almost any situation I'm dropped into. I love that. It's good. Even when with your tough boss that you have right now, you're still able to do that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's a little crazy when you're like, okay, I've got to influence my tough boss. Oh, that's me. <laughs> that's great. So I'm excited to dive into these, these five points. So there's five specific mindsets that we're going to go through today, and we're just going to help the audience become impact players. So to give a quick overview of those, and then I'll have you go into them. It's to make yourself useful, step up, step back, finish strong, ask and adjust and make work light. So I'd like to jump into these. And like I said, the first 14 years of my aerospace career, I feel like I didn't have all these, but in the last year, I really did. And I'll explain that throughout. But I'd love to just jump into that first point here yeah. about becoming an impact player. So again, that's this is people going beyond just doing their job. So can you explain what it means to make yourself useful? Oh, absolutely. So what we found is these are the five circumstances that really differentiate people who have this extraordinary impact. And they have to do with five challenges we deal with in any environment, whether we work in aerospace or software or a middle school. And the first is 
messy problems, problems that like are no one person's job. There's this stuff that goes in the cracks of the organization. And we find what, what most people do, or when we're operating in what I call a contributor mindset, is we contribute, meaning I do my job, I do my part. What distinguishes the impact players is they look at these messy problems and say, yeah, that's not my job, but it's the job that needs to be done. And so I'm going to expand the range of my responsibilities and I'm going to go out into no man's land and help solve that, whether it's clean up a problem, seize an opportunity. They take their job description very loosely. And it's not like they abandon their post, which is like, oh, I didn't really want to do my job. I'm going to go do this other, like more interesting job. It's they just expand their range and they figure out what's important and they go make that important to them, which is how they make themselves useful. And, you know, for me, you know, this is kind of early on in my career. I'm like, well, this is kind of what I want to do. And my boss was like, well, but we actually have a different problem. This is you know, you want to teach leadership, but actually we have a technology training problem. Like, it'd be great if you could help solve that. And this experience I had early on where this boss just kind of nudged me and said like, yeah, I know you want to do that, but we need this done. I'm like, well, that's not what I want to do. That's not the job I want, but it's the job that's needed. And so I subordinated like my will essentially, and said, okay, I'm going to go work on what is most important to the organization and to my boss. Well, do you know what happens when you work on what is most important to your boss? <laughs> oh, yeah. You get recognized real quick. Recognized really quick. You become like the favorite and then you become their go-to person, which is like, oh, well, thank you for like pointing yourself towards this. Can you now point yourself towards that? And then pretty soon you're able to help set the agenda of what's important and you build all this influence and impact and value and it and if I learned anything in this research is that all of that value you create for others oh it all comes back to you yeah you know this going back to my example now I'm, I'm in software now full-time which is totally different than being in aerospace when I first got in I started as a part-time receiving clerk and that's translation or code for I took out people's trash and broke down boxes but that's what I did. And that's what people said needed to be done because there was always stacks of boxes coming in with uh, shipments of parts coming in and manufactured goods, things like that. And then there was also like, you know, the, the, the boxes in the trash, they were all over the place. But what I started doing is instead of just thinking about, okay, I'm told just to do this, that's all I'm gonna do. I realized some places that the trash cans were really full. So I just moved bigger trash cans there. And the boxes were all over the place. I'm like, what if I told everyone to put them right here and they'll get broken down twice a day? And little things like that are what earned me initially a full-time position. Now, that might not sound like a big deal to most people, but I was going outside of what I was told to do, which was break down boxes, take out the trash. I found the problems and began identifying how to make a better solution around them. And that's how I implemented this point very early on in my career. But I think it's really important that we do this. Do you find that some people get stuck, though, because they're scared that they're going to do something wrong, or maybe they're just not confident in stepping out of what they've been specifically told they have to do at that moment? Well, I do think job descriptions can be a comfort blanket, which is this is what I'm supposed to do. But, um, you know, it's not like you're stepping out of your job and doing something you're wholly unqualified for. It's just about expanding your willingness to do what needs to be done. So I'm not suggesting you take on jobs that you have no business doing. That is scary. Although, and I have to say, like, I would 
argue that we tend to do our best work when we are working outside of our current skill set. It's, you know, kind of a premise I explored in this book, Rookie Smarts, but it's just expand your scope and take the things that you know how to do and do them in the places where they're needed, even if it's not your department, your issue, your mess. And you don't have to do them quietly behind the scenes. It's okay to let other people see you doing it. Um, and particularly early in your career. And Alex, you mentioned Scott O'Neill. Like I was so struck by his journey and you know, it was an incredible sports management executive. So early in his career, he's in on a Saturday and he's fixing the copier. So the president of the organization comes in and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm fixing the copier. Why? Because it's broken. Well, is that your job? No, it's not my job, but it's broken. And so he's there to be of service. And that's when the president's like, come here, I want to talk to you. Like, what do you want to do? And so it just opens this pathway for him to be able to do the kind of work he loves. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here. And I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. The second thing that you talk about with becoming an impact player is to be able to step up and lead when it's needed, but also step back down when the job is done. Can you explain this point a little bit? Because this one, I think, could confuse some people. Like when they're thinking about stepping up into leadership, then stepping back down, it's like, why would you do that, right? Can you explain right. this point? Well, so when roles are unclear, and it's, you know, we're all in, been in these meetings. We're like, everyone's collaborating, but we're not really sure who's in charge. Like, okay, who's the boss of this meeting? Who's the boss of this project? I get that we're working together, but who's really in charge? So most people tend to wait for direction. Like, okay, would someone please come and bestow upon us like role clarification? What impact players do is they don't wait. They step up and they take the lead. Like, so when there's a leadership vacuum, they fill that void. Okay, that's not that surprising that people who are really impactful, influential are willing to fill that void and take the lead. But here's what's interesting is that they don't insist on always leading. Like, I think I'm inherently suspicious of the people who are like always need to be the leader. And, you know, I've, I'm a mom, I've got four kids and they're all just now finished with um, K through 12 school. And I was always very suspicious of the parents who are like, oh, I'll be the room parent. I'll handle this. I'll run this campaign. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I'm like, are you a really noble person or are you trying to influence things so that it benefits your child? I was like, mm, I'm a little suspicious of the person who always wants to lead. And what we're finding is that more and more organizations need really flexible management hierarchies. And they need people who could say, you know what, I'm in charge of this project at the two o'clock. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to lead the team and I'm going to move this forward. But I'm equally comfortable in the three o'clock meeting being a follower and taking the lead from someone who's a peer or who works for me. You know, we need people who can step up and lead, but let go of that leadership both so that the organization stays flexible, but also to build that kind of trust because people who are willing to lead, but who are also willing to follow, like we'll follow these people anywhere. They're like, man, I trust you. I, because I trust not just your capability, I trust your intention. 
you know, this, this point is one that really was my biggest pet peeve. It, like, this is one that I always got uh, in when I was in aerospace and even now, but it always bothered me when no one would step up. Like, I'd, I'd be on vacation or in like a long court, like meeting, the senior leadership meeting. I come back out and certain things weren't getting done. It's because there was no person appointed as leader, which could be a reflection on me, of course. But I, I took this to heart so much. And Liz, I'd love to get your feedback on this. I actually, when I got into software, my startup Podmatch, I decided to make one of our number one internal core values. I just call it a bias for action and individual ownership because I want people to step up that are on the team and example this just yesterday. Uh, the person who runs my marketing, her name's Susanna. And I had an idea for something and she kind of stepped in and was like, hey, Alex, I think that if we try it this way, it might be better. And I immediately said, you know what? I'm going to step back and you take lead. I think that you know more about this than I do. And I stepped back and she's like, oh, I don't like you're the boss. I don't know if I want to do that. And I just told her, hey, we've got a bias for action and individual ownership. You take charge and you lead on this step. Putting that into my core values, I think might be helpful. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I, I like it because I, um, I'm really skeptical of middle of the road solutions. Like what we don't like on one extreme are like autocratic bosses. But then if you go to the other extreme, you know, it's like, okay, now we're just purely collaborating. Like I'm, I'm suspicious of that. Like I want situations where people like are clear owners, but it's a rotating ownership because, you know, there's a lot of times people are like, well, we're we're all working together. Like we're collaborating. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I actually think people need to know who's a clear leader. It just shouldn't be the same person all the time. So like by metaphor in my house, when everyone is in charge of feeding the cats, like I'm like, okay, who's in charge of feeding the cats? Well, we're all going to feed the cats. Well, when we're all going to feed the cats, the cats go hungry, right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, we're less likely to have anarchy and like Lord of the Flies kinds of things. We're more likely to end up with inaction. So I like to know who's the boss of this, who's the boss of this meeting, who's the boss of this project, who's the boss of this action with clear ownership. But with that, everyone owning different pieces of it or stepping up and leading, but then letting somebody else step up and lead. I think that is where we get the clearest ownership. Like in the middle, it's muddy. Like when everyone's in charge, no one's in charge. I, I like to take notes whenever I'm learning something because I just learned a lot from what you just shared. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this because I'm not gonna take notes while I'm interviewing you. That would be inappropriate. So, but all the listeners, make sure you grab what Liz just said that that's really powerful. So thanks for sharing that. Moving on to the third point, you talk about finishing strong. And can you explain what it means to finish strong to the listeners today? Mm. Well, you know, I think a lot of us finish work when we can plan for, you know, what's happening. But what we found with these impact players is when unforeseen obstacles sort of drop into the picture. This is where they tend to really finish strong. So they have a completion gene. And, you know, people with a completion gene, they get uncomfortable with things that are undone. So, you know, the impact players take it all the way through to the finish. But here's the thing that I thought was remarkable about it is that they don't just finish the work the way that you might like finish finals week and then collapse. Like, okay, I finished, but it came at a cost. I'm now exhausted. They finish stronger than than when they started. And the way you do that is you build capability along the way. So they take ownership of things. And then when big obstacles drop in, they don't just escalate those up and say, well, we didn't plan on this. Let me give that to someone higher up. They maintain ownership, but they don't try to go solo. They're pulling in help, pulling in reinforcements. And so I might need to involve my boss in helping to get this across the finish line, but I didn't hand it to my boss. 
I said, you know what? I got this. I'm going to get across the finish line. I need you on the team to help me get this done. So what they're doing is they're maintaining ownership throughout that entire process rather than passing it back to the higher ups. And when we maintain ownership, that's where we're building strength. You know, for me, this is actually probably my strongest skill out of the bunch here. Uh, if you go back to like Strength Finders 2.0, like the, the test results from that, which I'm sure you're mm -hmm. familiar with, uh, three of my top five strengths are focus, achievement, and responsibility. So I've always oh, yeah. been the guy. You're There's something wired for this. Right. When something hit my desk, it was guaranteed to get done. Uh, that's in that I'm not like I'm not being conceited about that. That's just the way my I was focused. Even if I needed to get help, it was going to get done one way or another. Not everyone has that. But for me, with that ability, that's something that I really was able to do. But uh, this brings up the next thing, like straight into the next point here, because it's also my greatest weakness, I was realizing this is kind of like the 14 at 14 years, I realized this. But the four skill you talk about with being an impact player is what you call to ask and adjust. And Again, this is such an important point, but can you explain what this means exactly to ask and adjust? Mm. You know, it's actually one of the ways that we can impede our impact is being overly focused. And so what we find is that, you know, most people sort of and in this contributor mindset, we lock onto targets. Like this is what we said. My growth objective was like 10% or get it done by this date. And we're like, we stick to the target. But in a world where things are constantly changing, Sticking to the target um, puts you behind. You know, it's it's average at best. And what we find is these impact players are reactive. They're not reactionary, not the freak out, okay, I'm just going to go with the whims, but they are proactively adaptive, meaning when things start to change, they don't stick to like, no, 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 10%, 10% is what we agreed to, 10% is a plan. They're like, okay. And they go into question mode and they're looking for guidance to help them figure out how to adjust the target. And in some ways, what they're doing is they're constantly calibrating. Am I on target? And, you know, whereas most people might look for affirmation and feedback to say, like, you're doing it right. You're hitting your target. They're looking for how am I off base? In fact, like one of the simple things we can do with this is just work Kind of like I mentioned, work, like assume you have way more power than you think you have. It's assume you're always off target. And how do I get information to calibrate, to say, how do I get back on tune? Because, you know, we know how big, certainly if you work in a big corporation, by the time goals cascade down, they're out of, you know, they're out of right. date. Oh, yeah. And it's it's about... And in some ways, like for me, the chameleon is the mascot of this practice because they adapt to their environment, but they adapt beautifully. I got to like babysit a chameleon a couple of years ago and I, just the like their colors and their vibrancy. It's like, it's not like, okay, I'll change. Like, okay, we're changing. To, it's like, okay, how do we need to adjust so that we are red hot relevant at any given moment? And the only way to do that is to assume that you're off target and you need to constantly recalibrate. Yeah, you know, this is, like I said, this is the point that I've really learned because we talk about finishing strong. I was always a finisher, but I was like, like you were just saying, I'm the guy who was laser focused. Like I put my eye on the target and I would not deviate until it was done. What I was failing to do was to ask and adjust. And especially when I was at the, the highest level there, being a senior director, I realized that that actually caused a lot of problems because I never sat back to reflect to see what people were doing. I just said, your team's doing this, your team's doing that to all my different managers. But I realized that what really opened me up to this point 
was actually COVID happening, which very few things good came out of that. But aerospace got hit pretty hard. I don't know if you know that. Like we were all, mm -hmm. we were below the atmosphere. So it was passengers and things like that. And what I realized is I had to now sit back. I had to listen to the industry. I had to make adjustments. I had to ask the, the CEO what was going on. And because of that, my last year was my best year. And it's because I stopped being so laser focused on what entered my desk instead saying, okay, is this the right thing to do to get the industry back on track? Or am I going somewhere wrong? So I, I learned this out of necessity is how this one came to me. But I think that if you can understand this, especially if you're like me, a high achiever, this serves, this has served me better than anything else. I brought that into my new organization, always sitting back and reviewing and looking at what's going on. And I think this has helped me probably more than anything, but I learned yeah. it out of necessity originally. Yeah. And I think COVID has helped us all to do this, but you know, here's the thought I would plant for anyone who's like, Ooh, am I too like, like locked on laser focused dog on a bone kind like of Alex. <laughs> is like, I'll give you my personal opinion is that I, I'm really skeptical about goals. Like I'm not goal oriented. And I actually think that people who are goal oriented, first of all, I think they're a little bit annoying because they're so like, I've got a goal, you know, and like you become a means to their end. Like so I have to sell enough to get to Disneyland. You have to buy these magazines, but they're so focused on, I'm like, man, you might be doing good, but totally irrelevant work. Like, I think we need to hold our goals loosely because things change. And, and so like, how do you have a goal orientation, but do that in a way that keeps you really relevant? And to do that, you have to just constantly be recalibrating. Is this the right target? How do we need to adjust our target? And you stay focused on the target, but know the target's going to move. I love that point. I think that's so powerful. I mean, for me, I'm somebody who has learned more and more to have looser goals. They're still too tight. I guarantee it, Liz, you would be like, yo, you need to let go. But um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's something that I have learned because when I get really focused on my goals, here's the thing especially when you do like a yearly goal, nothing against it, but my life is going to look totally different in 12 months from now, like different than I can even imagine. So if I hold too tightly that goal, I'm holding on to a flawed potential like version of myself that is probably completely outdated at this point. And I think it's the same with organizations, it's the same with our own companies that we're starting. Sure, you can have your projected goals of, of growth and things like that, but you're going to have to adjust at some point or you're going to make it too easy or too hard on yourself at some point without constantly adjusting. So I think that you have a really good point here. Yeah, it's, I, I, with a great strategist, C.K. Prahalad um, from the University of Michigan, it was like he really taught me this idea, which is when you're developing a strategic plan, what's not important is the goal, the plan. What's important is the common understanding you build through the dialogue by what's important, because that has to continue. To, it's like understanding commander's intent, like, okay, this is fundamentally what we're trying to do. So as the situation changes, I still know what to do. Because we all know that goal is irrelevant, you know, six months from now, right, we, we can understand the logic behind it. Such a powerful point. I love this one. Uh, for sake of time, Liz got to keep on moving here, moving on to that fifth and final skill of an impact player. And this is the ability to make work light, which I already love the sound of, by the way, but can you talk about what it means to make work light? You know, so we find that when just there's more demands than anyone can handle, you know, most people like ask for help or they carry their weight, but the impact players tend to make work light for everyone on the team. Now, one way you can do that is you can help. You can take some of that burden from other people, but you can only do so much of that. And then you don't want to get burdened down. But what they do is they make work light in that they reduce all the, um, 
ancillary work. Like there's the workload and then there's the other workload of drama, politics, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the things around the periphery, they they reduce all that friction. They're easy to work with. They don't engage in politics in, um, you know, they, they're they're clear communicators. They don't take up more than their fair share of space in a meeting. You know, they're the kind of people like on a practical level, if they're going to forward you an email, long convoluted email chain and ask for your opinion, they would do the simple thing of saying, in the following email chain, you will see this issue discussed, da, da, da. I would like you to weigh in on A versus B. Like they, they're easy to work with. They, they provide an executive summary. They just make that process of working, they make hard work easier. And one of the ways we do that is being by being easy to work with. The other is by bringing levity to situations that are heavy and they're fun and not necessarily comedians, but they just make work fun. So like, okay, yeah, we're all dealing with more work than we feel like we can handle, but we're not adding extra work by making it overly difficult. And we're having fun together as we do it. Like then the burden becomes easy to bear. Yeah. You know, do you think that this is a skill that people, again, going back to like we talked at the beginning, being born with or one that you can learn this one to some people may be difficult because a lot of people, even when they start their own company, they still want to be liked by people. So they kind of get involved in the politics and all those different things, or they maybe slack a little bit just so they can, again, people be like, oh, they're really fun. They're, they're cool to be here. Or you've got the person that's just like naturally hilarious. Like I've worked with those people that are just, they can make a room laugh instantly. I wasn't born with that, but some people are. But what's your your thought on this whole point? Like, can how do you start to learn this? Well, I think there are some parts of it that are very learnable. How to be easy to work with is learnable. Part of what it takes to learn it is you have to have someone say to you, you are being difficult. And I've had a couple of bosses say that early on, like you are verbose. I'm like, hmm, let me find how to say this in smaller words. Like, thank you for that information. There's a bunch of ways to be easy um, that you can learn. Now, having a light heart about your work is something that is a little bit harder. According to the coaches, it was one of the things that they believed was um, one of the least coachable things. Like, you know, and we know this, there are some people who are just not funny and they're not fun. Like they take themselves too seriously. Right. So they might not be able to do this one easily, but they can still be easy to work with. That's a good point. I love that. Liz, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And before we end our time together, I just want to ask, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? You know, here's my final thought for the listeners. If there's one thing we found across all of these um, impact players is that they treat uncertainty and ambiguity differently than other people. Instead of seeing it as a problem to avoid, like, oh, it's a distraction from my job. They look at that and they wear sort of opportunity goggles like, OK, yeah, there's fraught with problems and uncertainty. But where is the opportunity to to serve those the people I work for to add value, to step up and provide a, a leadership role, to rethink what we're doing? And so I, I might boil it down to if you want to have greater impact, like look at these situations that are everyday problems that aren't going away and find ways to turn uncertainty and problems and challenges into opportunities for the organization and for you. And that will take you down a path of impact. It's a powerful way to end this episode. Liz, thank you again for your time. And it was just great getting to talk to my mentor's mentor. Uh, it was truly an honor to have you here today. So thank you so much. 
It was so fun to talk to you. And I just love the idea of you like grabbing onto these goals and driving hard to it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I know I mentioned it in the introduction, but Liz is one of the most accomplished business leaders I've ever had the opportunity to talk to. I personally learned so much from this conversation and from this book, and I really wish I could have had this at the start of my professional life. Thankfully, everything that Liz mentioned in this episode can be implemented by each of us today. And I encourage you to take action to become an impact player in your own startup side hustle or even in your full-time job, because I believe that you will leave a lasting impression as a result. Liz, thank you again for being a guest and sharing your wisdom with us today. For links to Liz Wiseman's book, Impact Players, and to her website, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 138. Thank you as always for listening, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week. Next week.